Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, August the 29th, 2022. It is currently 9.20 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios, located right here in Abilene, Texas. We're outside right now. There's some thunder, clouds, possible chance for some light rain. That's what's going on outside. It's just kind of like if you walk outside and see the clouds right now, it just kind of has that that feeling of, of maybe maybe kind of a, a dark feeling, an ominous cloud, you know, hanging overhead, maybe kind of give you a more somber feeling, maybe something where you're more, I don't know, you're, you're looking inwardly, I, I, I don't know, just a feeling in the air that maybe I cannot articulate exactly, but that's what's going on behind me outside uh, the window that's right behind me. I just, I walked outside a few minutes ago, just stood outside and there was just this feeling that, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I don't know, there was just this feeling and, and maybe it wasn't the weather, maybe it wasn't the clouds, maybe it wasn't the darkness, maybe it wasn't the thunder, maybe it's not the chance for a light rain, maybe it has nothing to do with that. The more I think about, may, maybe, maybe I just feel that that really captures the mood that I've been in for a, a, at least a portion of the day. Because there was some news that came out today that, of course, all over Christian websites and Christian social media, everyone had an opinion. Everyone was placing their judgment. Everyone was placing their condemnation. And it really just got to me a little bit. And so I, this is what I'm going to ask of you tonight. If you're listening live, please give me a little bit of grace, a little bit of mercy to just kind of share more directly from the heart. Maybe maybe I'm not going to worry about how organized this is. Just let me just let me talk. Just let me share. Just let me work this out because it, even if it's of no advantage to you, it will do me some good this evening sitting here in this in my studio to just talk this out. It just Just imagine you're just listening in to me just struggling with a reality about Christianity that has grown to bother me more and more over the years. Maybe it should have always bothered me. Maybe when I was a younger Christian, I thought of myself one way. And maybe the longer I have been a Christian, the more I saw the reality in my own heart and once I saw the reality in my own heart, it made me change my view about Christianity at large. And some of you will perceive that what I'm saying is, is contrary to biblical Christianity, and that's okay. Just at least to let me talk this out, talk this through. It, it, does, that, does that work for you? I hope so. I hope so. I'm going to, go, I'm going to begin with a phrase that is used frequently from all kinds of churches from all different kinds all different types of theologies all kinds of different doctrinal backgrounds theological streams even no matter how different the church is at some point they will say something like this the church is made up of flawed people the church is made up of flawed people now sometimes we just simply throw that out to as a, a kind of an, as an apologetic to those criticizing the church, those condemning the church, those pointing out the hypocrisy of the church. We'll say the church is made up of flawed people. But we say it frequently. My concern is we are quick to use the phrase when it's beneficial, when it's advantageous. We say the church is made up of flawed people. We will say that. But in practical reality and the daily practice of the church, I don't know if we operate and function like that is actually true. We're like, the church is made up of flawed people. And then in practice, we seem to act like nobody should be flawed 
and we 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 have kind of a different way of thinking and i think there's some kind of disconnect here let me ask you the question let me ask some questions i got a millions of questions tonight is the church made up of flawed people i think everyone will say amen all right now what should that look like we won't get to that question but let me ask you this who is flawed who is flawed who who in the church is flawed everyone okay the deacons, are they flawed? The elders, are they flawed? The Sunday school teachers? The youth pastor? The associate pastor? Can the pastor be someone who is flawed? Now, on one hand, everyone's going to say, yes, until the flaws reveal themselves, until the flaws are seen. And then once the flaws are seen, how... And what, what, what's the, like, there's got to be kind of a chart, right? Okay. Flaws that are ranked like, okay, 10, a 10, uh, starting at 10, 10 is a, a, a small flaw, an insignificant flaw. One is like the, the big flaw. So when you went on this chart, like when your flaws begin to show, when people begin, your flaws are exposed, can, can, can what happens for flaws that are ranked at 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, Say, I'll say 10 to 6. Nothing, no big deal. Maybe just have a word in private. No big deal, right? 10 to 6 is okay flaws because obviously everyone is flawed. I mean, that's the word we use. Everyone's flawed. We may even go so far to say everyone is a sinner. Well, what, what levels of sin can be manifested where before it becomes a major issue? Is it a 10? Again, I'm going to, I'm, I'm using my chart 10 being like the least severe and one is like number one on the charts. That's the big one. That's the, that's the hit sin that will get you excommunicated, disciplined, shamed, disqualified. It's the big one. Now, if, if we just think this through, if, if we say everyone is flawed and everyone is a sinner, we, we obviously are accepting certain flaws and certain sins as not being something that is life-altering, life-changing. Someone has to stand before the church and confess. Someone is in danger of church discipline. Uh, they're, they're, someone's going to lose their position as a Sunday school teacher. Someone's going to be disqualified as a pastor. Clearly, there's lots of these things. There's lots of these things that we accept. See, we say everyone is flawed, but we don't really think about what that means. Everyone is a sinner. We say that, but then what does that actually mean? Which flaws and sins are allowed? And when you, when you say 10 to 6 are okay, but when you get to 5, when you get to level 4, when you get to level 3, now we've got a problem. Now it's got to be a public scandal. Now it's got to be everywhere. Now we've got to put out to everyone. Someone's got to confess. Someone's got to step down. Someone's got to be investigated. Someone, now, I'm not talking about illegal crimes. I'm not talking about something of legality. Obviously, has to be turned over to the legal system. An investigation has to occur. I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm talking about moral failure, sin, uh, flaws, however you want to define them, okay? Where, where is the line? Where is the line? See, it's one thing to say, to, to walk around saying, everyone in the church is flawed. Everyone in the church is a sinner. Oh, that sounds so good. But then sooner or later, once the flaws or sins are seen, you're like, okay, well, everyone in the church is flawed. Everyone in the church is a sinner, but you have crossed the line. So these flaws are okay, but you, you went, uh, you, that's a bridge too far. If everyone in the church is flawed and everyone in the church is a sinner, then sin and flaws are going to be manifested in the church on a pretty regular and consistent basis. But let's be honest. In our minds, everyone in the church doesn't want to be known for their flaws or their sins. Everyone dresses themselves up in a robe of self-righteousness, 
or we could say practical righteousness. We don't we 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 put our best foot forward, right? Everyone everyone uses the Christian lingo, wears the right clothes, says the says the right words, and so our flaw, now we may say, "Oh, I'm a sinner." Oh, I mean, we 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 offer a little bit of, you know, humility. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve anything. Everyone says that, and it sounds so good. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Pray for me. I'm a sinner. Everyone may say it. Because because you're not really saying anything. To say you're a sinner is not really saying anything, right? Everyone can accept that. You can stand up and, and say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner who struggles. Everyone says amen to that. No, there's no controversy. There's nothing. But start naming the sin. Start, let the sin become reve- revealed. Let the flaw be found out. Oh, no, 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 no. Now it's not like, oh, you're a sinner. So I think we spend, I think for for the most part, the church wants to put forth the idea of holiness, righteousness, godliness. That's what we want to be known for. But if everyone in the church is a sinner and everyone is in the church is flawed, do you think we spend more time trying to cover up the reality of what we are with an external righteousness that simply is nothing more than fig leaves covering up our own spiritual naked nakedness? And, and really, we, we don't want to be seen for the truth of what we are. Is church just dress up? Is church just pretend? Do Are we more focused for a desire for some kind of an external appearance of righteousness. And we and that's our focus more than the church having the focus of being a place of grace and mercy. Now, the minute I say the church being a place of grace and mercy, others will say, that's the problem with the church. Everybody, nobody wants to deal with sin and everyone just lives in sin. And I know you can yell and point your finger and condemn and condemn and condemn and condemn. And it sounds so good until people start looking into your closet and looking into your life. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you were, you were sure condemning everyone until your flaws were revealed. Your sins were revealed. Everyone wants to be the one with the rock. Everyone wants the stone in their hand saying, stone the woman caught in adultery. Now, I know there's lots of debate about that story, whether it should be there or not there. I'm not here to get into that argument. But the, the, the idea is a, a biblical one. If everyone is a sinner, who gets to pick up the rock and throw it? Now, I'm not saying this means, well, nobody should care about sin. No, what I'm saying is that means everyone in the church, from the pastor to the deacon to the usher uh, to whatever positions you have, everyone's flawed. And sooner or later, flaws are going to be revealed. Sooner or later, sins are going to be manifested. Now, what do we do? There's a tendency... If the flaw gets, I think, I think, I think 10 through six or, or, you know, typically nothing. I think if it gets, it gets below level five, if it gets to a level four or a three or a two, someone's got to, someone's got to pay someone. It's got to be, pastor's got to leave, pastor's got to resign, discipline, something's got to happen. Have we gotten it all wrong? Have we gotten it all wrong? If our theology says you still have a sinful nature, I still have a sinful nature. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner. You're going to sin, I'm going to sin. From the past, from the pulpit to the pew and everything in between, we're all going to sin. Now, here's what we can't do. We can't excuse our sin. We can't justify our sin. We have to acknowledge it, but we should be able to, once it's revealed, is to acknowledge and to struggle and hurt with one another so that we can move forward. And when someone and when someone is their sin is exposed, what do we actually want? 
I mean, I mean, and from the story that happened today, and I'm not going to go into it because everyone will focus on that. What I saw is people, you know, piece of garbage. He's trash. He he deserves it. I, you know, he's fake. He and just attack the person. It's just attack, 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 attack. Where's the love? Where's compassion? Where's grace? It's like there's never mercy or grace. It's like nobody wants restoration. Everyone wants destruction and condemnation. Don't we want the woman caught in adultery, not exposed and destroyed and shamed, but to receive grace and mercy and restored? The pastor who falls, do we just want destruction and disqualified? That word disqualified, they're disqualified. They're di- we just love that word, disqualified. You're disqualified. Never about, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Temporarily, you may be disqualified. Let's see if we can restore you. The Bible doesn't say if someone met, breaks the rules of 1 Timothy 3, that's it. They can never be restored. I mean, Peter denied three times and was restored. David murdered adultery and was restored to write holy scripture. You know, someone's going to say, well, he didn't get to build the temple. No, his son, who just took the adultery to a whole different level, got to build the temple. All right, we, we can go all day on all of that. What do we want when people fall? What do we really want? Is the church, has the church placed a desire for really an external righteousness and holiness above a place of grace and mercy and restoration? Let's just look at some scriptures tonight. Let's just look at some scriptures. I just, throughout the day, I've just been writing down different references. I'm not going to have time to exegete all of these. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll work on this. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It just depends on the reaction to this. A lot of people are going to try to argue. And the problem with the, I know the problem with the church today is there's too much ungodliness. Look, the, the problem, the ungodliness has always been in the church. It's never not going to be in the church because the church is made up of ungodly people, of flawed people. Let's start in Matthew 18. Start in Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 12. Matthew chapter 18, verse 12. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And, and if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep, than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. When one goes astray, is the church the place of mercy and grace and forgiveness and restoration? Is the Christian world the place of mercy and grace, or is it, ah, they're not really sorry. They're only sorry that they got caught. They're fake. I never liked them in the first place. I always knew something was wrong with them. I never liked their preaching. And just condemn and attack and attack and attack and attack and attack. It's like, we're like rabid dogs, right? Who hasn't eaten. And when when someone sins, it's like, it's just like we, we, the dog, a rabid dog who hasn't eaten and it's just like raw meat and it just attacks and just tears and, and rips and slanders and, and gossips and just destroys. Shouldn't we go run and grab that person and say, come back here. The church is where you belong. The church is where you belong. A place of grace, a place of mercy, a place of love place of forgiveness. Because you know that person who went astray? Maybe they went astray on your level of what, what's allowed. Maybe they maybe you're at a six in your flaws and your sin, and maybe they're at a three. 
So maybe you've been good and your, your, your sins and flaws have never been exposed because they're the kinds of sins and flaws that nobody cares about. And this one made it down to a three or two. Maybe they even made it down to a one. You know what? You're still a sinner. You're not better than they. You're not better than them. Why are we so quick, like, to be in our club? You got to meet this standard, and if you don't, you're gone. There's, there's no place for mercy, no place for grace, no place for forgiveness. I'm not talking covering up crime. I'm not talking about that. We want the dirt. We want to talk about the dirt. I don't do much to call and ask if the person's okay, and can I pray for you, and how can I help you, and let me help restore you. Do we go after the one that's gone astray? We go find the one who's gone astray so that we can post about them on Twitter and so that we can destroy them. And then how does this work in the church? Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Typically, Matthew 18, verse 15 and following. Typically, typically, this is what we use to refer to church discipline, which is we always seem to forget this. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If, he's he- if he hears thee, you've gained the brother. Everyone in the church is flawed. Everyone's a sinner. If the sinner is known by the people who know it, now I'm not talking something illegal. I'm not talking something illegal, just a sin. And they confess that sin. They acknowledge that sin and say that they're going to turn from that sin. Does there need to be more? Does there need to be public shame? A A lot of my feelings about how the church handles sin was greatly... I was greatly impacted by it. I think I saw it two times, maybe three times, where it was all three cases, teenage girl got pregnant. And she's there by herself, forced to stand behind the pulpit or stand up on the platform to confess her horrible sin of premarital sex because she got pregnant. Now, the other girls in the youth group, they may be having premarital sex, but nobody knows, so they're good to go. So she stands there in public humiliation and shame. Typically, the teenage boys like, peace out, I'm gone. I'm not going anywhere. They're gone. And then there's the girl publicly humiliated. Why? Why does she have to give a public confession? Why? does she, Why? It shouldn't be a place of shame and brokenness. And it's always like, well, this will help show everyone how serious sin. Why? Why don't you stand up and confess your sin? Why doesn't everyone in the congregation stand up and confess their? No, this poor girl gets humiliated. If 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 you if she it, it came and it, I mean I mean the sin's already known she's pregnant if she's acknowledged that what she did was a sin well then why isn't there just forgiveness why does there have to be public humiliation? I, I, how does that actually work? Hey, you committed this sin. You did that. I understand it. I accept my responsibility. I understand it was a sin. I'm sorry. Should that be the end of it? Should that be the end of it? But it's always like, no, 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 no. We got to let this person know. And we got to let this person know. And then we got to make it up. Wait, then what's the even point here? If confession is made, if acknowledgement of sin is given, if there is a desire to turn from that sin and to move away from it. Now, once again, you got to be careful how you even word that because they're still going to sin. They're still sinners. They're still flawed. Remember, that's our catchphrase. What do we do? But it's like, no, no, no. Oh, no, you did this. I told you you did this. You said you're sorry. Not good enough. Now I got to go find somebody and I got to let them know. And then I'm going to let them know. And I'm going to let everyone know that you sinned. 
And you know what? Nobody cares. Nobody cares if the if the procedure breaks down because now all we've got, oh, we got, did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear what so now now we've got gossip? We've got something good. Now, now we've got something exciting. We don't really care. Well, wait a minute. Why is this being made public? Wait, wait, why was this brought here? Wait, was there wait, was there a why, why is this being handled this way? Why is it becoming a public spectacle? Who, who, who benefits from that? But see, the scriptures even makes it like, okay, if, 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 if the two, if in private, one-on-one, it's not, it can't be dealt with, well, then it, it gives you a clear procedure. Then if they won't hear it, you take with them two or uh, take with the two or more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Then you bring two or three, and if they confess and repent, it's over. So you have step one that should be able to end it before it becomes a public spectacle. Step two should end it from being a public spectacle. And uh, and uh, But if there is no repentance, then you bring it to the church. To the church. To that local church. And guess what? If there's repentance, it shouldn't go anywhere else. It doesn't have to go outside that church. So you can confront the person. What you did was wrong. You're right. I'm sorry. The end. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Okay. I, no, I don't think what I did. Well, I'm going to bring two or three witnesses. Oh, I, okay. I was wrong. That ends it. Now I'm going to take it to your church. Then within that local church, but it should be carried there, taking care. I'm not talking illegal activity. But for some weird reason, no, no, no. Now we've got to put it all over social media. We got to post the video of the confession to everyone. Why can't it just be handled in that local congregation where there can be love and mercy? But everything's got to become a spectacle. Sometimes you got to ask yourself, what are we attempting to do? Do we want forgiveness and restoration or do we want spectacle and destruction? Now, Peter, after hearing all of this, verse 21 of Matthew 18, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but 70 times seven. It seems that Jesus is saying 70 times seven. This process, hey, you committed a sin. I'm sorry. Then it's forgotten. It's done. We move on. Up to 70 times seven. We, we don't even handle it with the first sin. We're like, we, we've got, somehow it ends up public scandal and people's lives are destroyed. I'm not talking illegal activity. I'm not talking that. I mean, if, the, if everyone in the church is flawed, if everyone in the church is a sinner, that's got to mean something in the way we conduct ourselves. What, what do we do with this passage? We use this for church discipline, but it's, not, it's never followed. How, I mean, if someone sins, I don't care if it's the pew or the pulpit, they confront, they repent, shouldn't it be over? No, 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 no. See, because your flaw, your sin got to level three. Now, it's crucify you. Now, I'm not saying excuse anything. There's the thunder. Let's go to another passage. I don't know if, when I said there's the thunder. It was in the background. I don't know if you could hear it. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read this in a different translation. Romans chapter 7. Here's the words of the Apostle Paul. You know these words. We, we quote them all the time. How does it work inside the church? Romans chapter 7, verse 19. The Apostle Paul says this, For I do not, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do, if now if I do what I do not want, I'm, I'm no longer the one that does it, but the sin that lives in me. And look at this. This is what he says. This is very important. Look at the very end. The last, the last verse here that no one ever wants to read from Romans 7.25. 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. He ends that section by saying, hey, this is how it's going to work. With my mind, I'm trying to serve the law of God, but with my flesh, I'm going to continue to serve the law of sin because I have a sinful nature. The things I want to do, I'm not going to do. And the things I don't want to do, I'm going to end up doing. That's the life of a believer. Now, if that is true, how does that work in the church? The church is made up of people who the things they want to do, they don't do. And the things they don't want to do, they do. That goes from the pulpit to the pew. Now, we say amen to that until the things the things you don't want to do and you're doing them is exposed. Once it's exposed, now the theory, we throw out the theory and we're like, that's it. You've crossed the line. Now, disqualify, destroy, corrupt, discipline. Now, yes, there's discipline if there is not repentance. But the problem is now no one can repent because as soon as you repent or apologize, people are like, it's not sincere. It's not sincere. It's not sincere. We, we basically demand that everyone is perfect. It's basically, we, 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 the church loves to condemn the liberal cancel culture. It's been in the church forever. You're canceled. You're done. And your apology is fraudulent. We would have been there sitting, watching David going, yeah, David, you're sorry because you got caught. You're not sorry. That's Psalm 51. Give me a break. That's not sincere. You just got, you got busted. You're just trying to save yourself. And then if all of a sudden we were find out he was writing scripture, we'd have been like, how dare you? You cannot write scripture. You're disqualified. If everyone in the church is the church is made up of people who the things they don't want to do, they do and the things they want to do, they don't do then what does it look like? Because it looks like this is what the church turns into. Keep your sins hidden. Don't confess. Don't let anyone know. Now you can let them know the little ones, right? Oh, I'm struggling with a little bit of pride or I'm struggling with a little bit of bitterness. Yeah, you can say that. You can't be a guy who stands up in small group and says, man, Last three weeks, it's been porn every single night. Wait, what? Wait, what? What? No, you can't. You can't be the Sunday school. T- t- you? No, 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 no. Disqualification. Wait, wait, wait. So if it's pride, I'm good to go. If it's pride, I, I always find that interesting. I'll just give you an example. First Timothy three, right? First Timothy three. Let's go here. I, I just find it interesting. First Timothy three which the qualifications of a bishop, which as soon as someone does something, then they're, they're, they, they read this to say you're disqualified forever, which it never says that. It, would, it, it could make an argument for temporary, but it doesn't say that there can't be restoration. But if you, if you see a, 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 a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre. I've never seen a, a pastor disqualified for greed. I've never seen that because would you even see the greed? See, you can have the greed there, but no, that, that's okay. Uh, but patient, not a brawler, but covetous. I've never seen someone, uh, you know, disqualified for greed, for covetousness, for not being patient, all right? Um, not a lot, novice, lest he being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. You've not seen too many pastors removed from the pulpit for pride. Now, these are things that are mentioned. If he was to stand up, and he may have pride, he may have not be as patient. There's things there that he may fall short in, and a lot of will say, well, no one's perfect, no one's perfect. We'll make a hundred excuses. Then if all of a sudden someone finds out he's looking at porn, he's disqualified forever. Well, wait, 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 there doesn't even mention any sexual sin mentioned there. Now, am I excusing that? Not excusing it in any way, shape, or form has to be dealt with. But you see, so then what? He can confess. There, that means there's some sins he can't confess. And, and there's some sins that are not allowed. How is the church functioning as a place of grace and mercy where people can be real and not a place where everyone has to pretend and cover up and wear their fig leaves? 
Now, I'm not saying everyone should stand up and confess everything, but the minute the the flaw is exposed, it's almost like, uh, look, 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 this is almost the way it works. Before you're saved, you can bring every sin you've ever committed. It can be everything. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. You bring it and we say it's washed away. It's forgiven. The blood of Christ washes your sins away. And now you're good to go. You're good to go. But what we, that same forgiveness is not offered to the believer. Now that you're a believer, you can't commit certain sins because now you're done. And that's why so many, instead of, that's why some, a lot of Christian young people, when they fall into big sin, they run away from the church, not to the church. Because once, you, once you're a Christian and you messed up, the same level of forgiveness and love and mercy is not extended to you. We think that, that complete forgiveness is only for the lost person, not for the believer. Now the believer, we immediately wants to say, well, you can be forgiven. And then we always throw in, but however, there's going to be consequences. And we get to tell you what the consequences are. We get to tell you. It, 1 Timothy 3 doesn't lay out what the consequences are. There's like, here's the qualifications. Okay. Is anyone going to meet all of those qualifications perfectly? Well, we'll all say, well, not perfectly. Okay. Well, then as soon as someone commits something that may not even be listed there, then we say we're disqualified and you're done. How do you, how, do you not hear how utterly confusing and subjective it all is? Let's look up some more scripture. How about 1 Corinthians 3? How about 1 Corinthians 3? This is the church. Paul writing to the church. Now, Paul, the same man who the things he wants to do, he doesn't do, the things he doesn't want to do, all the, all the things he writes to the church. And look what he says. And brethren, I cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it. Neither are you now able, for you are yet carnal. There is among you envying, strife, divisions. Uh, are you not carnal and walk as men? There was all kinds of sin in the church of Corinth. There was all kinds of sin. It's always been that way. In every church, there is all kinds of sin. All kinds. There's pornography. There is drunkenness. There is bitterness. There is lack of submission. There is, there's, there's so, there's thousands of issues on any given Sunday represented by all the people sitting in the pew. But we all cover it up. And if it gets exposed, then it's death, destruction, and it's best you just leave and never come back. Where's the grace and mercy going, man? You're in the, hey, look, so-and-so has fallen into the pigsty. Climb over the fence and get down into the pigsty with them and help get them out. And say, hey, you're no better than me. I'm a sinner just like you. Can the church be a place of broken, flawed people who are sinners who are struggling? Now, listen, the minute they become, now you say, well, when, where, what about church discipline? What about when someone says, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. I'm not going to repent. I'm not sorry for it. I don't think it's a sin. Okay, now you've reached a level. But as long as there is brokenness and repentance and confession, there should be forgiveness. And shouldn't this be the, the for everyone in the church? Shouldn't 1 Corinthians 13 be that describes that we have a love for one another? A love, a compassionate love, a caring for one another, that we keep no records of wrongs? That we, that we love and we forgive and we have mercy. Shouldn't it be a place where there can be openness? James chapter 5, verse 16. Says this. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Maybe that healing, maybe, could it deal with the healing of our spiritual sin? 
forgiveness. I mean, we could we could get into that, but we're supposed to confess our sins to one another. We're literally supposed the church should be a place where we literally can confess our sins one to another. Can the pastor confess his sins to anyone in the church? No, because if he confesses to certain sins, he's done, he's finished, he's done. It's it's like you're done. You're disqualified. You're finished. Not, oh, okay, we got a problem here. Okay, well, now let's do this. You may have to step down, right? You may have to step down, but we're going we're gonna to restore you. It, isn't the church a place of restoration? I mean, Galatians chapter 6, shouldn't this apply to everyone in the church? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Can a place be where we confess, where there is restoration? We bear each other's burdens? But for some weird reason, we think everything has to be made public. Now, look, illegal, understand. But a lot of things, can't it just be dealt with? And, okay, who needs to know this? Okay, what's being done here? All right, well, based on that situation, you're going to have, maybe, maybe you're a teacher or a pastor, you're going to have to step down. But don't leave the church. Don't resign and run. Stay in the church. And then the church comes together to hopefully bring healing, to restore, to bring, put back together. Don't run and flee. Don't go. Stay. If you're a church member, don't run and flee. Stay. Because you're with the people around you, they're all sinners just like you. Their sin just may not be exposed yet. Their activity may not be exposed yet. On, on the situation today where everyone was going crazy off this pastor for what he did, I just I was just curious. I wonder if, if all those people who were posting all of their condemnations and judgments, I wonder if all of their internet history was exposed to everyone. What would we find? All of their private text messages. Well, I wonder what they we would see. Thing, gossip and slander and bitterness, maybe straight up lying about people. I wonder if all of those private text messages were seen. Private text messages maybe with family or with friends or with coworkers. I wonder if all of their private communications were put out for the world. They're, they're pointing, they're all, all got their rocks and they're ready to, to throw and, and stone the heathen. I think they would be, I think it'd be like, ooh, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind. Now, it doesn't mean excusing what happened. I'm not excusing anyone's behavior. Everyone thinks that when you talk this way, everyone thinks, oh, you're just excusing it. No, I'm not excusing everything. I just think if we we claim that the church is made up of flawed people, if we claim the church is made up of sinners, then we have to operate in a way that acknowledges everyone here is a sinner. So everyone is is going to sin. Everyone here is going, their flaws are going to be manifested in some way. So we either we create a list of mortal and venial flaws or mortal and venial sin. And we say, as long as you commit these, you're okay if you commit these now it's public humiliation it's shame we got to make it we got to make it national news we got to let the whole world know and you're disqualified or hey everyone here's a sinner is there repentance is there sorrow now we say but the, the repentance has to be genuine who you get to determine if the repentance is genuine You'd have been there with your notebook watching David. I don't think he cried enough. I don't think David, nope, David wasn't, you would be right there. You would be, you would be, go, Peter, nope, no, no, Peter, come on. No, no, you, you denied him three times. You think you're going to just get to preach right after you denied him three times? You think you're just going to, you're, you're just going to get to confess your sin and then just turn, turn around and get to preach on the day of Pentecost. Who do you think you are? Shouldn't the church be the place for brokenness so that we can confess? Now, I understand there's a time and place to confess. I understand that. But I'm just saying there should be an openness that, hey, everyone here is a sinner. I'm a sinner. You are a sinner. We don't have to expose everything, but there's times we may have to. Not, not, there, may, there may be times something public has to occur. I'm not saying Never. But I'm saying the biblical model seems to be a confess it in private, and if it's dealt with, it's dealt with, and you move on. 
there's a, there's a lack of repentance seems to be, but we like the scandal. We like the spectacle. One other scripture. One other, one other. Yeah, absolutely. Someone just said, I think God is the only one who can determine if their repentance is genuine. I, I mean, exactly. I mean, how can we determine that? If someone says, nope, I was, I, I sinned and I was wrong, then okay. I mean, my, my thing is always like, you try to keep everything as, my, here's my thing. The church has to first acknowledge that everyone in it is, I, I'm going to get a little off track here, but that's okay. I think here's, here's how the church has to operate. Everyone here is flawed and everyone is a sinner. So everyone's got sin and everyone's got flaws. Some may be made manifest. Some may be kept in private, but sooner or later, sins are going to be known and they're going to be private. Once that happens, you have to confront. Hopefully as much as in private as possible. If they won't repent, then that's where the problem is. If they will not, if they, and if, and guess what? When, if they, if they don't repent and leave and they come back, you don't make it a public spectacle. You're like, you know what? You wouldn't repent. Now you come back. You got to stand in front of her. Why would you do that? You don't. You don't have to let everyone know. You don't have to share everyone's dirt. You don't have to destroy people's lives. The church has to be a place where grace and mercy is the rule, because everyone in the church is flawed. One more scripture. One more. And again, this just, this has bothered me all day. And, 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 and again, I, I think it's maybe the story, the story got to me today. Maybe the weather outside just makes it a time to be more introspective. I don't know. Maybe self-analysis. Just, just, I just, I just remember how I was as a young Christian, right? It's like, no, we're supposed to not sin. We're supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to be right. And, and people who mess up and fail, they need to be exposed. It was much more a harder idea. And then I kind of realized it didn't take super long into my Christian life. I'm the sinner. I'm the one. I've got 9,000 problems here. I got 99 problems and they're all me. And I'm like, man, how do we work this? But then all I've ever seen in the church is judge, condemn, judge, condemn, judge, condemn. And so it's a place of shame. It's a place of guilt, which becomes a place of cover-up. Sometimes I, I almost think we need a confessional booth. Or at least someone can walk in and just confess and get out, you know, be told that, I know I'm not saying from the, like the Catholic way, but from a more biblical way, based on the blood of Jesus Christ, based on his sacrifice, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are covered. Your sins have all been paid for. Just so someone can hear that. But, but we're, it's almost like, yeah, your sin, we, we, it's so common in, in the evangelical world. Your sins are forgiven, but however, got to be consequences. How about your just sins are forgiven? I mean, do, do, I mean, how much? You, how many times you have to pay for it? It's already been paid for. First Peter. I, I'm just sitting here listening to the rain fall outside. It just it's the perfect it's the perfect weather for this discussion because I, I'm almost like the church should almost be a place of. Like rain is a place, rain is that which refreshes. Rain is that which brings growth. Rain is that which washes away. And we, the church needs to be a place of grace and mercy where there, we can be constantly refreshed and forgiven and sins washed away. We're all messed up. First Peter 4, 8. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. 1 Peter 4, 8. And above all things, have fervent charity, have fervent love among yourselves within the church, 
for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Do you think the church covers the multitude of sins? Now, some say it's a cover-up. It's a cover-up when it's illegal activity, when, when the sin needs to be known because that sin could be damaging to other people. But there's m- most sin should be dealt in private, and love should cover it. Love, lo- love should cover the sin. It doesn't excuse the sin. You just, you can talk to the person. Like if you're, if you're mad at the person for sinning, talk to the person directly. But it does not, why do we got to go tell everyone else? Why do we always got to make it a spectacle? Why do we have to destroy? The church is made up of flawed people. Oh man, we love that statement when we need it. The church is made up of sinners. Everyone says amen to all of that until the flaw is manifest, until the sin is revealed. And then the church becomes a place, condemnation, judgment, shame, discipline, not a place of grace and mercy and restoration. If everyone is flawed, if everyone is a sinner, that includes the pulpit to the pew. No one's sin should be excused. Every sin has to be dealt with to some level, but we know we don't deal with every sin the same way. You know it and I know it. No matter how much we try to pretend, we don't deal with all sins the same. There are sins that people commit, nothing. Nobody's going to be called into the pastor's office. No one's going to be nothing. And then other sins are like, boom, now it's big. I, I still don't even know how to work that all out. Like, when, when, when is it an issue? I think ultimately is when when something becomes a big issue and the person is unrepentant, then it becomes an issue. Of course, no matter what the sin is, if there's repentance and acceptance and forgiveness and acknowledgement, then there has to be forgiveness and we move on. I'll stop there. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I know there will be much disagreement. I just hope if your disagreement, it's disagreement based on something I actually said, not something you're trying to say that I'm saying, because I think a lot of what I'm saying will be misrepresented. If that's the case, well, I'll try to, I'll try to, I'll try to clarify. But I think what has been, I've given you plenty of scriptures to meditate on. And all I want you to do is just, I want you to think about Everyone in the church is a sinner, so every, that means sin is happening all the time. How does the church operate in a way that's consistent with that reality without becoming a place of just pretend and cover up and, and hiding? There's got to be an answer there. I would love to get your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have, have a great Monday evening. And for those here in the West Texas area, let's pray that it keeps raining, all right? Because we need it, all right? God bless.